Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, the big news. He's a grandfather. He and his lovely bride have become grandparents. So let's begin with that. How does it feel, Mr. Oster? Over the moon. We, uh, my son had a, a, and daughter-in-law had a little girl. Hazel Victoria Oster, and we are absolutely thrilled. I don't know how long it's going to take to get her into the garden, have a little plot for her there, you know. <laughs> it's very exciting. Well, congratulations to you and your bride. That's, uh, that's a big deal. All right, here we go, folks. Uh, Sorgles, $25 gift certificate awaits you right now if you're the 10th caller, 412-922-1020. And, Mr. Oster, this is the day that a lot of folks are at home, as they will be for the next uh, week or so, just focusing on their seed catalogs and getting ready for what lies ahead. So if you folks have any gardening questions, I would love you to call right now. Uh, First come, first serve, 866-391-1020. And also Steve Rapaski will be dropping by in just a couple of moments. But I'm going to let you begin with your opening monologue, whatever is on your mind. Go ahead, Doug. Uh, exactly. Later this morning, we will have our old friend Steve Rapaskian. He's talking all about what the bees do during the winter, and will give us some ideas to what we can grow to help pollinators. I have started my seed ordering. I, I uh, looked through the Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds catalog, and already uh, they have things that are sold out, a lot of things that were sold out. This is the way it's going to be this year again, Uh you know, last year, seed companies were overwhelmed uh, because of the pandemic, because people being home, wanting to garden more. Uh, but I did get some really cool, weird stuff. And you know me, I like cool and weird. Uh, one of the things, you know, I, I, I talked about it last week, maybe the week before, about this big, giant winter radish that I grew that I loved. I couldn't get it this year. And so I, I found another one called the Chinese Shawo fruit radish, and Shawo is S-H-A-W-O. And again, I'm just looking at the picture, and I'm just looking at the description, and the description is the roots are crisp and sweet and considered a tasty fruit substitute in Beijing with a similar texture to, to pears and a taste of pears. So I was like, wow, that sounds good. You know, radishes are easy as long as you plant them when it's nice and cool, uh, spring or fall. Uh, then the other one I got was a giant of Sicily radish. You know, I like anything from Italy. My wife's Italian, and it's not really a giant, you know, two-inch round uh, radishes, but from Italy, so I think it's kind of cool. But another thing I experimented with last year, and it was actually came from a story I did uh, on a, an older couple uh, who, when she had some medical issues, he took over all the the gardening outside with the flowers were before he was just a vegetable garden 
gardener, and he was he was really high on a flower called balsam, and it's kind of an old-fashioned impatient. Uh, it's it's very tall, two three feet tall. It grows that way as opposed to like a bushy prostrate plant. And there's one that they had in their catalog called peppermint sticks balsam, and it's it's got red flowers with like spots of white on it. And balsam is just it was just the easiest thing I'd ever grown. And, and uh, my subject from the story, Glenn Riblet, he was he was right. It is a great plant uh, to put in. And then I bought some uh, dandelion seeds. Uh, I love growing again. That's an Italian thing. I love growing uh, dandelion greens. This variety, I've grown it before, and I love it. It's called Italico Rosa Dandelion, which uh, has red stems and very tender green leaves. It's not the same dandelion. I mean, it's not going to make flowers, so it's not going to go to seed, and it's not going to be everywhere. It's just grown as a leafy green, loves cool weather, and it has a bitterness to it that you, uh, again, it's an acquired taste, but once you get it, you love it. Dandelions are one of the most nutritious plants on the planet. I do eat wild dandelions, but I love these cultivated varieties. And you know, when I got laid off last March after the pandemic, I had to really rethink, uh, not just for myself, but for other people on what they could plant and, and do it cheaply. And so I'll be, I'm writing this story about growing a garden from just direct sowing seeds uh, if you can't grow inside and talking about nasturtiums and zinnias and sunflowers, runner beans, uh, cosmos, morning glories, moonflowers, so much more that you could, you know, spend 10 or 15 bucks in seeds, plant these right in the garden and still have a beautiful garden without without having to, to break the bank. Uh, the latest story I wrote, it, it was all about house plants. Uh, this is for the Pitt- Pittsburgh Earth Day. And, you know, I went to Sorgos because I know they've got a great selection. Uh, I'm sure the nursery or garden center or greenhouse close to you does also. Uh, but, you know, you just think of a houseplant as just green. But, man, at Sorgos they had <laughs> red and chartreuse and succulents. And this is a good time to to split them up. Uh, this is a good time to take cuttings. This is a good time to clean your, your house plants. Believe it or not, those leaves should be clean so they can do their photosynthesis process. Uh, and I, I've talked about it before. I'll, I'll throw them into the bathtub, throw the shower on them, and just flush out all that soil. Uh, the thing about uh, house plants, we always talk about this. Uh, the only way to kill them is with kindness, too much water and too much fertilizer. No fertilization for house plants until we get to the other side of the season here, until we get to late February, early March. Not enough uh, light for those plants to use the nutrients. And if you have a gardening question, you couldn't get through, you don't want to be on the radio, you just go to wherever all this other stuff I've been talking about is, go to DougOster.com. Today I'll be answering questions as soon as I get done with the show for an hour. Uh, You're not bothering me, this is my job. Uh, Rob, did we happen to get any callers uh, this morning? On the other side, Steve Rapaski will be here. It's time for us to get a break in, so we're going to take it a little early so you can spend a little extra time with Steve Rapaski. But if you folks want to talk to Doug or Steve, 866-391-1020, and we do have lines available, stay with us. Direct from the Hive, he's full of all sorts of goodies. We always love spending time with this next guest. And to do the introduction, the host of The Organic Gardener, Doug Oster.com, Mr. Doug Oster. Doug. 
We're joined by Steve Rapaski, master beekeeper and owner of Bee Control and Meadowsweet Apiaries. Steve, how are you this morning? Good morning, gentlemen. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I've got some questions for you, not related to pollinators, to begin our interview. Did you plant the garlic I gave you? <laughs> some of it. <laughs> the rest, some of the it. rest got the rest got eaten, unfortunately, or fortunately. But uh, are you fi- are you finally going to have a decent garden this year? You know, I'm actually, I made the decision to convert most of it to a pollinator-friendly garden. Um, I'm way too busy to spend the time to, to tend to that garden, which is unfortunate because I love to grow my own peppers and onions and all the good stuff that goes in that garden. Uh, but with my, my busy schedule and, and workload, I decided to plant something that's a little bit more hands-off, but certainly beneficial, which is going to help all the native bees and uh, butterflies. And we're going to turn it into a a very large pollinator garden, which will be pretty nice. It'll add lots of color uh, to the backyard and be less work for me in the long run. Well, let's start there. What kind of stuff are you going to have in there? Do you know? Yeah, I've been planning it out. Um, I'm actually going to, I've planted some bulbs. Um, You know, I know you're a big fan of planting bulbs and uh, many people don't don't realize it. Those early flowers not only do they add color to our dreary winter here in western Pennsylvania. You know we like to see those flowers pop up through the snow, but they're also very beneficial to all of our native bees. Um, you know you you plant some of these crocus and snowdrops and and Siberian squill. Uh, you know you like to see those pop up through the snow as the snow goes away, but. Uh, with our native bees especially, those are some of the very earliest pollen sources uh, that benefit those insects as they come out of spring or out of the winter hibernation and get busy in spring in that late February into March time frame. Uh, those will go around the border. Um, I, I thought about doing the entire thing, as you have done with your, your um, tomato beds there, but I'm going to try to plant it out a little bit and put the edges into my um, ball planting. And then in the middle is going to be a lot of sunflowers and um, uh, various, oh, probably I think I have eight or ten different species of flowers that are going to be going into uh, the center of the garden. Now, my plot's not that big. It's probably 10 feet by 15 feet, but certainly it's going to be a nice burst of of flowers that we can see off the back deck and and watch the, the birds and butterflies and bees work the flowers. The one thing that I saw in your garden, and this was years ago, that the bees loved was borage. Uh, yes. and I don't think I've ever seen a plant more covered with bees than that borage, and that's pretty easy to grow, right? It is. It is. And one thing you know, I always try to think of, too, when I'm planting uh, for pollinators is what the bees need and when they need it. You know, Certainly we are blessed in western Pennsylvania to have such a diverse amount of, of plants and flowers that, that the um, butterflies and bees can work, but it's those times of the year that are more drought stricken that or lacking in uh, available forage that we need to think about so that early spring you know march april and then we get into that you know june july august time frame and that's where borage really comes into play uh tithonia, you know mexican sunflowers you know the milkweed the cone flowers those flowers that bloom later in the summer uh, into the fall uh, is usually a time when nectar is, and pollen is not readily available to many of these insects. So I, I try to plant accordingly because I know they'll find things in the interim. Um, but in the meantime, it also gives me a nice flow of, of color throughout the season. But that borage is very easy to plant. Uh, you basically just toss the seed, it grows, and it self-seeds. 
So it readily really comes back almost annually without too much work um, if you have it in an area where you're not going to disturb it constantly. Sounds perfect for your low-maintenance, I mean no-maintenance garden. Yeah, no maintenance. No maintenance is more fun. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hey, uh, what do honeybees do in the winter? How do they stay alive when it gets down to like 12 degrees out there? Yeah, that's a very good question. The question we get quite frequently. Um, honeybees tend to, they don't go into hibernation as, as many people think. We use that word uh, too often. It's more of a dormant state. Um, they are very active. If I were to open up a hive today, um, of course, I wouldn't because it's very chilly outside. Um, you'll see they are active. They're moving around. They're unique uh, insects in that, uh, unlike some of our native insects, so many of our native bees um, uh, will actually overwinter as adults or they're still in their juvenile cocoons until they emerge as adults in the spring. Honeybees are what we call a perennial, um, perennial insect. They actually will survive the winter as an entire colony, and their unique feature is they have these their muscles that actually allow them to move their wings in order to fly. Well, they're able to disjoin that muscle, if you will, where they actually will shiver. They'll, they'll much like we do when we're cold. The honeybees will shiver and they create heat. And the inside of that cluster, they'll, they'll form a real tight cluster in the in the hive. That cluster will be maintained around 70, 80, 90 degree temperature all winter, regardless of the temperatures outside. So as long as we provide them with a nice uh, warm home, or not warm, but a protective home, you know, we give them that hive, they're not exposed to the wind, they can maintain a very nice temperature, and they actually will feed on the honey uh, that is left for them. So it's very important as beekeepers that we leave enough honey for them to survive. They make it through the winter and uh, repeat that whole process all over again of doing a fabulous pollination and creating lots of honey. I want to talk to you a little bit about your history with bees. And my, One of my first questions is, did you ever, as a little kid, have a fear of bees or a fear of being stung like many of us do? You know, I, I think back to that, and I think that if I had any fear at all, it was probably... Now, you have to remember, I grew up on a farm, so fear was, was forced out of us rather quickly. You know, we either <laughs> did it or else. Uh, so running around in the yard, you know, my, my father still has bees. He had bees back then. Um, you know, we, we had clover everywhere. We'd run around barefoot. We would get stung constantly. So I'm not sure there was a fear there. Um, I think early on the idea of getting stung and that it hurt was, was probably in the back of my mind. But I have pictures that at four years old, you know, of me, you know, working the bees with my dad. So that fear, if there was any, was quickly whisked away. Um, and that was just me. That's my nature. You know, I, I tend to not dwell on things and kind of grab the bull by the horns and go with it. But you're right. There is a societal fear of stinging insects. And a lot of that is associated with, some, you know, somebody getting stung as a young kid, associating it with pain. Um, and also part of it is just not understanding the organisms themselves, you know, I still hate wasps and hornets. I do it for a living. I, I, I remove them and, and take care of them for, for people. Um, and I don't like dealing with them because they're mean, they're aggressive. But certainly with the honeybees, um, as you know, you know, you have your, your experience of getting stung in the nose there. Um, kind of <laughs> the lips, the, 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 the nose, <laughs> the, the, nose the legs, you got it. 
Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it's I, my fear. I don't think ever really developed. It turned more into curiosity and and a love for for uh, pollinators and and just wildlife in general. Well, how many hives are you actually taking care of now? Oh, You've got about a minute. Two hundred. <laughs> two hundred. How um, many? We're we're two hundred two zero zero. Um, and those those colonies are spread out from the Homestead area all the way up to Mercer County. The bulk of them are, are around the airport. We're fortunate. I've been working with the Pittsburgh International Airport, and most of my bees are out there. Uh, we actually recently just won the Governor's Award for Environmental Excellence uh, for the beekeeping program that we're running out at the airport. So a lot of great things going on, uh, keeping me busy, even during the cold months of December. Lots of stuff going on. I'm working on writing my second book. Uh, so that takes up time, but uh, yeah, we're we're hopping for sure. All right, Steve. As always, thank you so much for getting up early, being on the show. It's Steve Rapaski, master beekeeper and owner of Bee Control and Meadow Sweet Apiaries. All right, we're coming back with more with Doug. Now, listen, this should be a great time for you to grab one of these available lines because normally after we have a guest or Doug kind of gives you his open commentary, we're getting busy. So uh, we've got some lines available. If you have any gardening thing on your mind, you need it answered right now in the way of a question, start dialing right now as we get ready for the news with Boris just a couple of minutes away. And that available space can be yours to fill up at 866-391-1020, The Organic Gardener, back with more in just a moment. All right, folks, he is, and uh, time to give away a gift certificate. The wonderful folks at Janoski's, big supporters of this program, was we're so grateful, as we are with all of our sponsors. So thank you so very much. And again, 10th Caller Wednesday, $25 gift certificate to Janoski's in Clinton, Pennsylvania. And, you know, Doug, before we take some phone calls here, just uh, really our sponsors, people like Janoski, Sorgles, and there's so many. I, I know you want to thank them for being supportive of you, the gardening community, and obviously this broadcast. Definitely, and and these places are are open and and have plants, and this is the time to go out there and check them out. You know, when I talked about sorghums, their uh, house plants, uh, Chapins has an amazing selection. Uh, you know, uh, these these big greenhouses filled with good stuff. Just go check them out. Have, have some fun. You got a little extra time here during uh, this break in the holidays. You know, do it safely and and uh, support these local businesses. All right, listen, if you have a question for Doug, I highly urge you to call now. A couple of segments left in the broadcast, then Joe and Frank Dentici will take over with their regular time slot. And today, Chairman Reserve Pork, it's New Year's uh, traditions, snowfloss, sauerkraut, everything available at Coons Market. And remember, wines, beers, everything, Banksville Road, McKnight Road. But right now, it's uh, Doug and the Organic Gardener. And joining him now is Phyllis in McCandless. Hey, Phyllis, welcome to News Radio KDKA. Good morning. Good morning. Doug, how do you take care of uh, package seeds over the winter that never been open? Say it again. What's the plant? How do you take care of package seeds? Package seeds. Oh, package seeds. Okay. Uh, here's how I store mine. Uh, the, the number one thing is to keep them dry. Uh, and so mine are in mason jars uh, with a little bit of that silica gel in the bottom. Uh, now, you if you... If you can, a lot of times I will save uh, the little packets that come when you buy certain things, shoes or something like that. And that's a uh, drying agent. And so uh, I'm just keeping them in those, those mason jars, keeping them in a cool, dry place. And for the most part, most seeds will last for many, many, many years. You know, there's certain ones 
that that you want to get fresh seed, you know, onions, delphiniums, those are just a couple. Uh, but you can also test your seeds to see if they are viable. And I'm, I'm glad you called, Phyllis, because I just found a giant, big trash bag, clear trash bag, filled with seeds that I forgot about. <laughs> and, I mean, some <laughs> of these go back to early 90s. And uh, kind of funny, actually, that uh, I found a little little uh, tag in there that was written by my son, Tim, when he was four, and now he's 35 or 6, something like that. So it's kind of cool. But I'm going to take some of those old seeds, and I'm just going to put them in a, a wet paper towel, maybe, you know, depending on the size of the seed, 5 or 10, put that in a Ziploc bag, close it up, and in a week or two, see what sprouts. And if the percentage of sprouts is higher than 50%, I will keep those seeds. Otherwise, I'll go to the compost pile. Okay? Okay. The, the seeds I'm going to say are the package seeds. They've never been opened. They're the seeds that you send out every month. Right. Uh, and the basil, yeah, just... that's, that and the basil seeds you just sent out seems very interesting. Oh, that's great! Yeah, just uh, just keep them in a, in some kind of jar that they they can't uh, uh, can't get wet, and they'll stay nice and dry. And then when you're ready to plant them, you know, uh, the other thing you can think about too is microgreens. You know, uh, I just did a video showing uh, my friend Ashley from Pitmoss actually sowing some basil seeds as uh, microgreens, and it just means that you put a few of them in a, a little container of uh, moist planting mix, they sprout up, and you eat them when they're really little, and they'll add that basil flavor uh, to any dish that you're making or a salad or whatever it might be. All right. Hey, Doug, a couple of minutes before the break. By the way, folks, if you want to jump in here and get a question answered, give Doug a call, 866-391-1020. You know, right now, every year, the same dilemma. How do I keep that Christmas cactus and poinsettia alive at least until Valentine's Day? Some tips on that, please. Well, definitely. Uh, when you're talking poinsettias uh, and Christmas cactus, the number one thing we I talked about at the top of the show, do not overwater. You know, if, if you're not good at watering your plants, especially when it comes to poinsettias, get that foil off there so that it can drain because if there's too much water in there and you get that foil around there, you're going to kill that poinsettia. I seriously, uh, when I when I do get serious about it, I'll keep that poinsettia going all the way until spring. And so no fertilization. Make sure that it doesn't completely dry out, but do not overwater. And when we, like I said, when we get to, oh, about the end of February, early March, that's when I'll start adding some fertilizer. I'm using this new stuff. It's called Dramatic. Uh, it's from a company called DRAM, D-R-A-M-M. And it's it's just the best liquid organic fertilizer I've ever used. And, uh, I met uh, Kurt Dram actually at uh, a trade show a couple of years ago in Columbus, and he was talking about it. And I tried it, and uh, if you saw my videos during the summer, you saw that all my containers w- went crazy. And so, and it 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 doesn't smell like fish. It it kind of for a day smells like uh, low tide, and so you do get a, a smell of the ocean. Uh, but it, it dissipates quickly, and it feeds those plants like crazy. Uh, so for now, keep the plants on the dry side. I hope your Christmas cactus is blooming. Mine actually bloomed right on time. In fact, I'm going to post a picture of that today on my uh, social media. But, yeah, I, you know, but many times with a Christmas cactus, it becomes a 
and in my case, this happens all the time, a Thanksgiving cactus, an Easter cactus. Uh, it's just about the light. You know, when they get to a point where they're happy with the, the amount of light they're getting, whether it's 12 hours of daylight, 12 hours of dark, whatever it might be, uh, they'll start blooming for you. But the Christmas cactus is not actually a cactus. Uh, it is uh, a, a plant that likes dry soil, but you can't you can't treat it like a cactus. It needs it needs water. And as I talked uh, in the story that I that just wrote about house plants, uh, just stick your finger down in the soil a couple knuckles deep, and if it's dry, it needs water. If it's moist, you can wait a week. A lot of my house plants are are watered maybe every other week, maybe every third week, depending on the variety, depending on how big the pot is. And so each one's a little bit different. And, again, this is the time of the year when houseplants really shine, when we can take the time to, to take care of them. During the summer, you know, I get some water on them maybe once a month uh, on the windowsill because I'm so busy in the garden. But right now, this is our garden, uh, the indoor space. And uh, the, the, if you want to add to that indoor garden, the, the newer varieties just have so many more colors. There's a, a plant called a Chinese evergreen, and there were a couple of them that I saw at Sorgals. One was called Siam, and the other one was called Valentine, and they just have this. And I've got, I posted pictures. You can see it at DougOster.com. You can see what they look like. Just amazing green and, and, and more red than green, but red-green variegation that is just it's just stunning. Uh, on the windowsill, and so uh, there was a philodendron. I grow one called Prince of Orange that has, uh, when the new growth is, is actually kind of an orangish and then purple, and then they had one there called Lemon Lime, I think that was the name of it, that is just a, a bright, intense chartreuse that just will knock your socks off. Uh, it just Again, it's just fun, to, and, and on the on the positive side also, they're cleaning the air in your house. There's been lots of studies. That the biggest one is from NASA, but they're cleaning the air in your house. Uh, you know, whenever I get complaints uh, by the, from the boss about too many plants on the window, so I'm like, remember, we're breathing clean air because of these plants. It doesn't go over very well, but it, it doesn't make, <laughs> make me throw the plants into the greenhouse. So uh, it's a lot of fun and pretty easy to do. And it's it's just uh, your indoor garden. There you go, folks. He is Doug Oster. We'd love to hear from you. Next stop, Mount Washington. We're going to talk to Barb about hydrangeas after the break. Don't forget, Joe and Frank then TC will be here today with the Coons Cooking Hour. It's New Year's traditions. That's just days away. And all of your Coons markets are open today with all of your chairman reserve pork, snowflake, sauerkraut, and more. Good morning. Good time for you to jump on board and talk to Doug. A couple of more minutes left in the final segment of the Organic Gardener program for this week. And, of course, coming up next hour, Joan Frank Dentisi, the Coons Cooking Hour. Barb, as promised, up on Mount Washington, wants to talk hydrangeas on News Radio KDK. Good morning, Barb. Good morning. Hey, um, Doug, I, I, I had a wonderful hydrangea the first time I ever tried to grow one this summer. And um, I left it in a pot. And I didn't transplant it into the ground. Can I save it? You know, you might be okay. Uh, at this point, Maybe. Uh, what I would <laughs> want to do is, is as soon as we get this upcoming thaw, is mm-hmm. I would I would surround that pot with something like mulch or straw or a shredded okay, I have leaf. it around straw right now. Where is it? I'm sorry. It's still, it's uh, it, uh, I have it alongside the house. I was hoping it would be warmer there. 
and that's then I put exactly straw right. around the pot that it's in. That's perfect. That's that's all I would do for right now. You know, if you try, you know, oh. we have this thought. If you try and get in the ground, it, it's going to be okay. going to be very wet, and uh, the soil structure is going to be tough. Yeah, just leave that straw around there. And you know what? I really think you'll be okay. Hydrangeas are pretty tough. The the only downside oh. to them when it gets cold is is sometimes the buds can freeze, and so okay. having it close to the house is great. Uh, but there's Good. one more thing you can do. <laughs> If it's possible, it would just be put a couple like tomato steaks around it and then kind of surround the outside of the plant with uh, some burlap and leave the top okay. open. And that'll that'll give it even a little bit more warming. And I bet you, I bet you when you get to the spring, you're going to look at that plant and it's going to start to leaf out and then get that thing in the ground. Uh, and when you do plant it, uh, do you have a spot for it? Do you know where you're going to put it? She has a spot, and she was so excited she hung up. Oh, gosh. All right. Well, just you want to cite it so that, if you can, so that it gets morning sun, afternoon shade. That is the perfect for hydrangeas. But they're variable. They'll, they'll grow just about anywhere. The thing about hydrangeas, and, uh, uh, the number one question we get, and for longtime listeners, you've heard this over and over again, uh, why doesn't my hydrangea bloom? And so there's there's... I think around seven different varieties, cultivar, not cultivars, but different varieties of hydrangeas. I grow one, uh, it's, it's the Annabelle series, and it blooms on the wood that comes up that season. M- many of them, and, and again, we've got to go Latin here, the, the, the mop head is called hydrangea macrophylla, and that's the one everybody loves because you've got those pink or blue, big, beautiful blooms but as I as I talked about, many times in our climate, the buds will freeze out, and that's why that type I have surrounded with burlap. And some years, I get blooms; some years, I get none. Uh, and and so these other varieties, like an oak leaf hydrangea, is one that blooms a little bit more reliably. Anything uh, uh, from that Annabelle series, uh, Invincible Spirit that sort of thing, uh, anything from the hydrangea paniculata family. If, you're, if you want to grow hydrangeas and you want to add some to your garden, don't go with that macrophylla or mop head. Go with one of these other varieties that uh, are more reliable bloomers. You can find them at the nursery. Just ask the nursery. If you can't remember all those crazy Latin names that I was just spewing out there, uh, just go to the nursery and just say, hey, I want one that blooms on new wood. Some of them will, will bloom on old wood and new wood. Uh, and the old wood, that means the buds are on there now. As long as those buds survive the winter, they bloom like crazy. If they freeze out and you had one that bloomed on old and new, that new growth would give you the flowers you need. And so uh, hydrangeas are an important plant in the, the landscape. And I grow lots of different ones with varied success, uh, even with that uh, surrounding them with with burlap, uh, there's a possibility that that thing's not going to to bloom every year reliably. But when it does bloom, it's fantastic. I have one called Nico Blue, and Jessica, who used to who uh, co-founded and used to host the show with me, she always said that if a plant doesn't do what it's supposed to do in three years, you got to throw it in the compost pile. And so that's what I told my Nico Blue when it got to year three, and I had about two blooms. I said, listen, if you don't make it, 
next year with super blooms, you're going to the compost pile, and that's all I needed to do because that thing <laughs> the next year had about 50 blooms on it and went crazy. So like, uh, you, it, it always helps to talk to your plants. And especially if you have to scold them and warn them that they're going to the, the compost piles. In those cases, they might bloom. Now, since then, it's been off and on with that Nico blue. Some years great, some years bad. The deer also nip at the buds, which, which kills me. That's another thing that, that surrounding them with burlap will do. Uh, that will keep those hydrangeas safe from, from the deer. Uh, uh, it's not their favorite plant. But when we get to to the tough part of winter, they'll eat just about anything. And those soft buds, uh, which would be next year's flowers, are one of the things that they absolutely love to nibble on. And so if you can't surround it with burlap, at least spray it with something like a Bobex or some kind of whatever the deer repellent is. We ready, Rob? We are ready, sir. Remember, organic gardeners, you. Yes, you. Make our world brighter and safer with each seed you sow and every garden you grow. Anyway, enjoy that new granddaughter, and uh, have a blessed and happy new year, and we'll see you in the new year a week from today, Doug. Happy new year. The great Doug Oster, ladies and gentlemen. He's now a granddad. Pretty special stuff. Short break, Joe and Frank Dentisi coming up after Boris and the news next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 